Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church, located in Newberry, Florida, where Rocky McKinley is our lead pastor. Thanks for tuning in. Here's today's message. And so what I'm going to try to do, attempt to do, is to pick up uh, where we left off last week. Pastor Rocky started a brand new series called Bitter or Better, and I thought that he did a great job of it. And I told the first service this, the more I thought about the things that he taught us last week, the more it just stuck in my mind, and I could not escape some of these things. And the more I realized, I think we all deal with bitterness a lot more than we, that we say that we do. I think it's a part of our lives that we like to try and keep hidden. And so to bring this stuff out, it's not always necessarily fun to do that. It's not always necessarily easy to deal with the things in our life that we're not super proud of and super excited about. Uh, However, it's always beneficial when we do it in the light of God's Word. And so just as a way to review some of what Pastor Rocky talked about last week. He, he taught from uh, the book of Exodus in, in the 15th chapter where the Israelites had just been released from slavery. God had just freed them from the slavery that they were in and, and they're wandering around the desert and they'd been three days without any water and so they were starting to become dehydrated. They were getting parched and they came across the spring and the spring was just full of bitter water. They couldn't drink it. It was poisonous. And really all that was was just a reflection of their own hearts. These Israelites, they were just angry and they were bitter about everything that they had had to go through up until this point in life. And Pastor Rocky brought out a a couple of great points, some takeaways last week that we can kind of apply to our lives as as far as bitterness is concerned. And a couple things that that I know that I uh, kind of took into my heart and things that I've been mulling over the last week was uh, bitterness can ruin your appetite for God's word. When we come across bitterness in our life, it can absolutely choke out that desire that we have to to get into God's word, to really dig into that. And then uh, he talked about how the ally of bitterness is justification. And then, of course, the thing that I think that most of us walked out of here remembering was the cure for bitterness is forgiveness. And it's absolutely true. The cure for bitterness is forgiveness. It's not easy to do, but man, is it worth it. And so we're going to try to to pick up where he left off last week. The reason I like kind of being in the middle of a series like this is he's already teed it up. He's just set me up. So I just get to hit the ball now. So we're going to have a little bit of fun this morning. Um, But as I was thinking about bitterness, you know, I was thinking, man, our society and our culture, we embrace bitterness. We're okay with bitter, aren't we? I mean, really, it's almost to the point where we love bitterness. You don't have to look very far. Look to popular music over the last 50 years or so, and you see that some of the most popular songs written were some of the most bitter songs ever written in the history of songwriting. Think about it, man. These, these huge hits that people get behind because it's echoing the sentiment in their own heart of bitterness. Think about Carly Simon singing You're So Vain. That is not a song of warm fuzzies, guys. That's bitter. Think about Nancy Sinatra singing these boots are made for walking. I mean, that is not a love ballad at all by any means. And when Carrie Underwood filmed the music video for Before He Cheats and she is keying some dude's truck, that is not the emotion of affection, okay? And so we see all through, actually, all women, all women singers are bitter, apparently. (laughs) Women, would you get this figured out? Seriously, I mean... Or just stop writing songs about it. I don't know what. But no, it's, it's every, it is everywhere in our culture, in our society. We celebrate, we love, we embrace, we root for bitterness. We really, really do. I mean, girls, when you hear those songs, you're like, doggone right, you know, and, and you get behind it, you know. He's not going to cheat on me again, you know. 
But it's, it's everywhere, it's, especially for me, I, I love sports, and so right now the NBA Finals are on TV, and one of the most, most obvious examples of bitterness in professional sports is a man named LeBron James, right? I mean, this, this guy, there are so many people that are bitter about LeBron James. It's a, so many people are like, oh, you know, they call them the haters, right? The LeBron James haters. Oh, you know, and, and maybe you're there. Maybe you, you're a hater because he flops on every single play. Maybe... Maybe you're a hater because, like, he's just super dramatic all the time. You know what I mean? Like, you know, he, maybe you don't like him because he complains and whines when he gets fouled, and then he gets every call, even when somebody doesn't foul him. They never call traveling on him. Maybe you're just, you know, you're bitter about all those things. Or maybe you like LeBron James, and I will pray for you so much because you are misguided. <laughs> you misunderstand. But listen... There is no kind of bitterness like I have seen in professional sports toward anybody like I've seen toward LeBron James. Because if you're unfamiliar with sports, you're unfamiliar with basketball, LeBron James grew up in Ohio. And when he graduated from high school, he went to play for the Cleveland Cavaliers. So he stayed in his home state. This is his hometown. And he is just a hero, one of the best to ever play the game. And a couple of years ago, he decided to leave Cleveland because he couldn't win a championship there. He had a few opportunities, but he needed to surround himself with other people that could help him win a championship because he can't do it by himself. And um, I'm sure he'll tell you that in interviews. LeBron James is only one man, you know, whatever. And so... um so he goes to Miami, and when that happened, man, the entire city of Cleveland felt betrayed. They felt so bitter and angry toward LeBron that they were in the streets burning their jerseys. How crazy is this? They spent their money on jerseys that they were burning right there. And how crazy is this? When LeBron James goes back, they're buying more jerseys. <laughs> I feel like maybe that was set up just by whoever designs the jerseys. Like, we can make a lot of money twice if we just let everybody burn the first edition and then come back for the second edition. But seriously, we, we love to hear the boos when LeBron James is on the free throw line, don't we? I mean, we love, the, we kind of get behind and we root for and we embrace bitterness in our society, in our culture. And do you know why we do that? We do that because it's easy. It's easy to be bitter. It's kind of fun to be bitter sometimes. It feels good to be bitter, right? I mean, the reality is it is easy to be bitter. It's easy to root for people that have hurt us. It's easy to root for them to fail, right? That's easy for us to do. It's easy for us to hold on to a grudge. It is easy for us to insist that we are right. That's easy. It's easy to be bitter. And bitterness is easy. Forgiveness Forgiveness is hard, but the goal is brokenness, as we're going to see today. If you have your Bible, please turn to 1 Samuel chapter 18. We're going to start in verse 6. I'm going to be reading from the, the ESV if you have an app where you can choose your translation. You can choose that one. And let me just kind of set up this passage of scripture. Um, the, this passage of scripture uh, contains two people that are, are, are no strangers to uh, sermons and, and probably to Sunday school. If you attended Sunday school and you were a kid, the two characters that we're going to read about are, are David and Saul. And, and Saul was the first king of Israel. The, the, b- before Saul became the king, Israel did not have a king. It was a nation without a king. It was ruled by judges, judges that God appointed to basically keep everybody in line to make sure everybody was following all of the rules. But the nation of Israel, all the 
the people, they didn't like that. They wanted to be like everybody else. You know, if you, anybody have kids and your kids come up to you and they're like, but everybody else has, and then fill in the blank with whatever your kid wants. That's what the nation of Israel said to God. But everybody else has a king. We want a king. And so God uh, appointed uh, Saul as the king. And, and on paper, Saul is the perfect king. He's got the, the I mean, just the, the physique of a king. He stands head and shoulders above everybody else. The Bible called him handsome. That is a pretty big compliment to be in the Bible, right? If, I mean, if, if the Bible calls you handsome, then you are handsome because that is the word of God, right? So pretty big deal. And so he, they call him handsome, and, and, and he has all the leadership qualities. He, he was absolutely just, his personality was the personality of a leader. People just followed him. He never lost a, a, you know, a popularity contest. And, and in fact, he did some amazing things for the entire nation of Israel. He came in where there was no army and, and essentially out of thin air built this army out of nothing and was able to conquer over some other um, nations that were giving Israel problems at the time. He's a hero, seriously. At this point, at this story, Saul is a hero. He's doing some shady things, and he's not everybody's favorite person all the time, but overall, he's been a successful leader. He's had a lot of success in life, but little does he know that behind the scenes, while he is having all of this success, there's a, a little shepherd by the name of David that's out watching his flock, and, and, and he gets called on one day, anointed to be the next king of Israel. When Saul's done, David's coming up through the ranks to be the next king, and, and we know how the, the story of David goes, right? I mean, he showed up at a battlefield one day to bring his, his brother's lunch. He wasn't even old enough to fight, and there was this big, giant guy on the other side of the lines, literally a giant that was just hurling insults and talking trash to all the Israelites and talking about their moms and talking, you know, all that stuff. And um, I had to explain this to the first service, too. That was a joke. It wasn't not, you're not going to find in the Bible where Goliath was talking about anybody's mom, okay? Let me just get that out of the way. And he's hurling insults at God. And so David shows up on the scene. He's not going to stand for it. Even as a young guy, he has so much faith, so much courage. that he stands up to Goliath, kills Goliath. He's a national hero. Overnight, he is a sensation, right? And so he kills Goliath. He killed one guy. It's a big guy, but killed one guy. And he and Saul are coming back after winning this battle. Because after Goliath went down, the whole army just kind of, just kind of was defeated after that. And, and all spread a, a billion different ways. And so... David and Saul, they're on their way back into town, and that's where we kind of pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 18 and verse 6. It says, as they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul. This is important. This is important for us to see the scene that's being set up right now because what's happening is probably not uncommon for that time. I mean, these were war heroes, right? And they're returning to their hometown, and so women are starting to come out, and they're going to sing, right? This was probably pretty common. Saul saw a lot of victory in battle, and so a lot of times when he would come home, I'm sure this was not uncommon for women to come out and just start singing like how awesome he was and how amazing he was. How great would that be if every time that you went home, that's what you got, right? Deanna, can we implement that in our home? Every time I come home, I want you singing how awesome I am with tambourines and whatever else, and not, and not the song, You're So Vain. I don't want that song being sung. <laughs> and, and so this is what Saul's expecting. He's expecting the hero's welcome for himself when he gets home, and, and, and you know that's, he's expecting kind of to walk with his shoulders back and kind of everybody patting him on the back for what a great leader he is. It's not exactly what he met when he got there. Later on in verse 6, it says, with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. In verse 7, and the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands. And Saul's probably like, yeah, I have. Doggone right I have. 
and David his 10,000s. Time out. Wait, what? You know, put yourself in Saul's shoes for just a second. You've led this army into victory after victory, and you have saved this entire nation. This punk kid that's walking beside you killed one dude, and he is getting tens of thousands of people. I mean, I'm sure that this is the perfect opportunity for Saul to let bitterness creep into his heart. In verse 8, we see that that's the case. And Saul was very angry. And this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David 10,000 and to me have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? This is kind of like his way of being passive aggressive, kind of like being a, like a LeBron J. I mean, like a, like a whiny baby. Um, and he's basically saying, listen, I mean, everybody already loves him more. Why doesn't he just be the king? Like that, that's the whole kind of vibe. Be careful what you ask for, right? Um, in verse 9, and Saul eyed David from that day on. That is where the bitterness sets in. He keeps his eyes on David. He's watching, you know. I'm watching you, you know. That's kind of the, the, kind of the vibe that we're getting from these passages of Scripture here. And so he watches him. He lets this bitterness set into his heart. And in verse 10, the next day a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand, which is the recipe for disaster, a bitter person with a spear in their hand. In verse 11, and Saul hurled the spear for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. So what we have in this story is we've got David who's done absolutely nothing wrong, playing an instrument to try to calm down this crazy king who has let bitterness set into his heart. And while he's playing this instrument to try to calm him down, Saul has a spear in his hand and he tries to take David out, not once, but twice. And if you keep reading, it happens again. And, and even though this happened thousands of years ago, right? Thousands of years ago, this took place. We can today look at these two characters in this story and identify with either one based on the choices that we make about bitterness in our own hearts. Because every single time that somebody hurts us, any time that, that we are offended, anytime something doesn't go right in our lives, then we have a choice to be Saul and be bitter, or we have a choice to be David and have a pure heart. That's the choice that we have every single day. Bitterness is not a one-time event. Bitterness is a choice that we make every single time somebody hurts us, every single time somebody offends us. We have the choice to be David or we have the choice to be Saul. And, and, and in this story, it's amazing that, that Saul's bitterness takes that avenue. That's such a violent thing to do, to try to kill somebody because he was so bitter toward this person. He threw a spear at him. Now, just a little poll. Take this poll in your mind. Think about, you know, the answer. You don't have to say it out loud. If somebody threw a spear at you, let's just say that was a thing again, okay? We didn't have guns. We had spears, right? If somebody threw a spear at you, what would you do? Just curious. Just think about it. What are you gonna, I, I'm, I'm sure some, some you know, responses are, are kind of filing through your mind. Run, maybe. That'd be a good option, you know. I, I mean, duck or jump, depending on, you know, the trajectory. You know what I mean? Or maybe you pick it back up and throw it back at him, right? I, some of you are waiting for me to get there. You're like, I'm not running. Somebody throws a spear at me. You better believe, unless that spear just disappears after it misses, I'm going to find it. I'm going to pick it up, and I'm going to throw it back at somebody because somebody is trying to take me out. It is within my right to try to take them back out. That's what a lot of us would probably try to do. But here is the warning in all of this is that bitter people throw spears, Saul is overcome. He's taken by his bitterness and he's sitting there and he's seeing the object of his bitterness playing an instrument and he picks up this spear and he hurls it. He throws it to try to take out David's life. And in the same way, when we become bitter, we pick up 
Spears. We pick up spears with our words, with our actions, with our attitudes, by giving somebody a cold shoulder, by leaving people out of our inner circle. Whatever it might be, we hurl those spears when we become bitter because bitter people throw spears. And, and I think that we throw spears. I think Dave, or Saul threw a spear at David because honestly, it just feels good, doesn't it? When somebody messes with you, when somebody checks your ego, when somebody does something to hurt you, doesn't it just feel good to try to want to get back at them? Isn't that just like, that, that's just like the, the base level humanity. When somebody does something to us, we want to be, we want to hold on to that. We want to be bitter about that. We want to root for them to fail. We want all of those bad things to happen because we know that it feels good. But I think that we should probably know enough to know that just what feels good and what's easy is usually not the right thing, right? A couple of years ago, I realized that my metabolism was slowing down the older that I get. Can I get an amen? Um, it just happens. I, and I, I always laughed at people when they said it when I was younger. I'm not laughing anymore. It's not funny. <laughs> I said it's not funny. You don't have to laugh. And so I realized that I was gaining weight. I was still eating like I was 20 years old, but I was gaining weight and, and it wasn't coming off. And so I'm like, man, I've got to make some changes in my life. And I hate to exercise. That it, like running, unless it's from somebody, is not a thing for me. You know what I mean? Like it is not essential to my life. I, if, you, if you can honestly come up and say running is fun, I will call you a liar to your face. I think that is, that is unless, unless it's like in, in a sport, but just running for running's sake, I just, that is not me, okay? I, you, you may have convinced yourself of that. I will pray that God delivers you from that, that thought life. But so I don't like to exercise. So I know, all right, what are my options? I've got to change some habits when it comes to my, my eating, what I eat. I was eating a lot of fried foods because fried foods are fantastic. They just are, right? Whoever invented the deep fryer, blessing from heaven, right? I love fried. So I was eating a lot of fried foods. I was eating a ton of red meat. I was eating a lot of, uh, you know, things with sugar in them. And so I just decided those, those things by themselves, man, if I just cut those things out or at least limit myself, uh, you know, I, I think that I can make some healthier choices for my life and maybe drop, you know, a few pounds here and there. And it was working, it was working, it was working. But here's the problem with me trying to eat healthier, right? The problem with me trying to eat healthier is Deanna says that I have something when I get hungry called hanger. Okay, I get hangry. Listen to the pronunciation very carefully. It's a mixture of two words. Maybe you've heard of this. It's hungry and angry smushed together. When I get hungry, I get angry, okay? Those two things combined is like a nuclear reaction for me, okay? And so when I do this, like Deanna has gotten to the point now where she has identified it. Early in our marriage, this was cause for like super fights. You know what I mean? Like, why? Because I was angry. I didn't know I was angry. She didn't know I was angry. Now she just kind of like, you know, throws me some pretzels and tells me to just eat for something, you know? <laughs> Stop being hangry, you know? Bad thing is, she's not, she doesn't get hangry, she gets uh, tangry is what we call it. When she gets tired, she gets angry, and we have passed both of those on to our daughter, so it is a mess at our house. <laughs> And so, but I, I have, so when I get really, really hungry, I start getting really angry and I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's you. I don't know. But there's a switch that turns off in my brain and it turns off my instinct for eating healthy when I get hungry. When I get to a certain level of hunger, my brain tells me no good food will ever fill you up ever as much as you eat. You could eat every salad in the county and it's not going to help. You could go to the grocery store and eat every vegetable that you see. And as soon as the last bite is finished, you will be hungry again right? Anybody else with me? And so I convinced myself that will, not, that will not fill me up. I am so hungry right now that I will die unless I go to McDonald's. Like that is <laughs> what I convinced myself of. And I order it and I order a large and then I yell at somebody because they won't let me supersize it anymore. That's my right. You can't take that from me. I'll do it if I want to. 
You know, I, I go home and I open up a bag of Cool Ranch Doritos and I turn around and it's gone because I've eaten all of them, right? Or, oh, God help me, I get out those Oreos. Woo! Am I right? <laughs> but man, there, there's something there. And, and the problem is, is that when I'm eating this stuff that I know is not good for me, it feels good. It is, it is satisfying a hunger that I have. My brain is telling me, yeah, you're doing the right thing. Now we got it. Now we got it all figured out. You're not going to be hangry anymore. You're not going to be hungry anymore. This is going to keep you full forever because there are so many preservatives in it. It'll last literally forever, right? And so I tell myself that, and it feels good for a little while, but you know what happens? You know what happens. A couple of hours later, I, oh man, I feel sluggish. I feel like just, I mean, tired, and I just, I feel terrible because of what I've put in my body, what I have consumed, that I convinced myself was good, that I convinced myself was what I needed to do at the time was not the right thing to do at all, and I pay the consequences for it later. And that's exactly how bitterness works in our life. We can convince ourselves, and our mind might tell us, man, it is the right thing to do. It is easy. It is fun. Hold on to this bitterness. When somebody throws a spear at you out of bitterness, pick that thing back up and hurl it back at them. It's within your right. You've got to defend yourself. You can do this and be justified in doing this. The problem is, is that we face the consequences of that anytime we pick that spear back up. Because I got news for you. Spears are going to come, right? Life hands you lemons. Life, life throws spears too. It's going to happen. And so when life throws those spears at you, the choice that you make to leave it sit there or to pick it up is going to determine whether that bitterness can take root in your heart. And if it does, there are consequences that last for eternity. And it feels good to be bitter, doesn't it? It just feel, it feels justified. It feels right. It feels good. It is easy to be bitter. But you know what? If you're going to choose that route in life, let me just warn you about something. Because you can I can't, I can't come down there and, and, and tell you what to do. I'm, I'm not standing up here in, in any kind of authority telling you this is what you've got to do when you walk out these doors today. And so you can walk out of here and you can choose to pick those spears back up that have been thrown at you. But just let me, let me just warn you just for a second. If you choose the easy way, if you choose the way that feels good in the moment, and when somebody hurts you, somebody offends you, somebody takes a hit at your ego, whatever it might be, and you choose bitterness. You choose to pick the spear up and you choose to throw it back at him. Just be warned that bitter people, they throw spears. And the spears don't always end up at our intended target alone. I mean, I'm sure that if we went through this room, we could find story after story and example after example of somebody that you knew, and maybe this somebody that you know is you, of somebody that became bitter because of something that someone else did. And they held on to bitterness, they held on to that spear, they tried to throw that spear back at the person that hurt them, and it ended up spraying everywhere. Because we don't always hit our intended target when we choose to pick up the spear. When we choose bitterness, we don't always hit that person that hit us. And so maybe I have a little suggestion for you. If you choose to walk out these doors and do the easy thing, and do the thing that feels good, and throw a spear, and be bitter, then you might wanna go home and you might want to sit your spouse down. You might want to say, listen, it's nothing that you've done. This is from a past relationship. This is nothing that you've done. There's stuff going on at work. But I am about to pick up a spear. I'm about to be bitter. And when I start throwing, you're going to be caught in the crosshairs. You are going to be some casualty 
of this bitterness that I am picking up. Maybe you want to sit the kids down when you go home and say, listen, mommy, daddy, w- um, daddy, daddy's going to pick up some spears. Somebody, somebody mess with me. I'm, I'm going I'm to take up some bitterness. I'm going to throw some spears back and just kids be ready. It's going to hit you. It's going to be bad for you, but I'm aiming at somebody else. Maybe you go to work and get everybody around, all the employees, boss, whoever. Hey, listen, I've got things happening outside of this office that, I mean, people are, are throwing spears at me. So guys, just everybody be ready. Uh, you guys are all going to be casualties of this war. I'm picking up some spears. I'm about to pick up some bitterness, and I am going to be justified in doing it. Man, that is exactly what happens when we pick up bitterness, right? It, it doesn't always just land where we want it to land. It just kind of spreads throughout our life. It destroys relationships. It destroys the connections that we have with the people in our lives that are the most important to us. And and reality is bitterness turns us into what we hate the most. It would have been so easy for David just to pick up the spear and throw it back, but David would have been Saul in that moment, right? You become what you hate when you pick up the spear of bitterness to throw it back. Back to Saul. Saul, after this experience, and, and he's in this, uh, you know, he's still the king, and he threw the spear at, at, at David many times. David had to leave. He had to go, um, he had to escape because Saul wanted his head. He was going to kill him. So David's gone, and, and Saul spends almost the rest of his life searching out these caves in the middle of the desert, trying to find David so that he can kill him. He's consumed by it. He goes crazy. And his whole, the rest of his life is just one sad story after another. I mean, it's just a a story of him losing relationship with people in his life that are important to him, like his son and and all these different things. And, And it's just a sad, sad existence. But that's exactly what happens when we pick up that spear of bitterness. Man, our lives are going to face all of these consequences. So if you want to do that this morning, if you want to walk out of here and you want to take the easy way and you want to do what feels good and you want to pick up that spear, just know that you can but it can take you down. The Bible says in in Matthew chapter seven and verse 13, it says, enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. God's word tells us, listen, the easy thing to do, the easy thing to do in this scenario, the easy thing is to pick up bitterness, to pick up the spear. That's the easy thing to do. That's the fun thing to do. That's the thing that feels good, but it will lead you to destruction. The narrow gate over here is to leave that spear where it is. Don't pick up bitterness. Don't pick up that spear. Don't throw it back. It is difficult. It is hard, but it leads to life. So we have that choice. Anytime we have a choice to choose bitterness or to walk away from it, we're choosing life or we're choosing destruction. But I feel like most of us in this room understand that, right? We've seen enough in our lives to, to, for it to make sense in, in our heads that if we choose bitterness, it's going to eat us up because we've, we've seen that happen, right? You know people. You know people that are so bitter and it's just destroyed them. We've seen that. So that makes sense. Not choosing bitterness leads to life. Choosing bitterness leads to destruction. That makes sense to us. But, but here's something that sometimes I, I don't think we, we see all the way through. And, and I want to warn you because I don't want you to walk out of here and, and blame me. But if you choose not to be bitter, then you are choosing to be broken. Understand that. Understand that if you make that choice when somebody hurls a spear at your head and you let it lay on the ground and you walk away from it without picking it up and without throwing it back, you are choosing to be broken. 
Because so many times it's so much easier for us to hide behind our bitterness so we don't have to deal with feelings, right? We don't have to deal with that hurt if all we are doing is just building up bitterness and building up bitterness because we choke out any of those emotions that we might have to deal with, any of that hurt, any of that pain, any of that brokenness. No, we just, we just push that all away if we're just bitter and we're just angry and we're just trying to get back at everybody all the time and we're just constantly throwing spears. But choose not to throw the spear, you're gonna be face to face with some of the hurt. You're gonna be face to face with what that person did to you and you're gonna have to deal with it. And it's gonna leave you broken. It's gonna break our hearts sometimes to choose not to be bitter. David, after that spear was tossed at him multiple times and he refused to become bitter, he refused to pick the spear up and throw it back. He had to run away. He had to go out by himself. He couldn't bring anybody with him. He had to leave everybody behind. This guy goes from national hero one day to you know running around and hiding in caves in the middle of the desert by himself, all alone, as lonely as you can possibly think all because he chose not to pick up the spear. You talk about broken. He is, nobody could care less if, if he was alive or dead except for Saul. And it's only because Saul wanted the chance to kill him himself. You talk about broken. That's as broken as it gets. And it's gonna hurt when we choose to not be bitter. But I do know this. I do know that God prefers a broken heart to a bitter heart every day. God would rather our hearts be broken by the things that people do to us, how they offend us. He would rather our hearts be broken than for our hearts to become bitter. And we, we've called this series, Bitter or Better. And that's the choice that we have. We can either be bitter or better. In God's kingdom, better equals broken. That's just what it is because God can work with broken. God loves broken. God can fix broken things. He can put pieces back together of things that are broken. My my wife loves a website that I think is probably straight from, from Satan himself. It's called Pinterest. <clears throat> this website, man. This website is all do-it-yourself projects, you know? I, I use do-it-yourself very, very lightly because they've got professionals on there posting pictures all the time. And my wife looks at it and is like, oh, they did it themselves. You can do it too. No, I can't. I'm not a master carpenter. You know, I cannot do the things that are on there. And so she got it in her head a, a few months ago that she wanted a new piece of furniture for our house. She wanted a new um, uh, piece of furniture to, to put underneath the TV to hold the, the components for the, you know, audio and video and, and to have some storage and things like that. Can we go out and buy like a particle board, like little slap it together, put it together yourself and let it take you 12 hours, but then you're done with it. Little cheap piece of furniture. No, we can't. What are we going to do? We're going to buy an old dresser. Why? Because we're going to take drawers out of that dresser and then we're going to put shelves in that dresser and it's going to be so cool and we're going to paint it this color and we're going to do this to it and, and every time that I say we she is saying we but she means you you know you know what I'm talking about right married folk can I get an amen you know and so she you know I, and so I I can't figure it out maybe I'm maybe I'm a moron maybe I'm a good husband maybe it's all the same I don't know but um I, I go on this on this search on this search to find the dresser that we're gonna change into pure Pinterest gold, you know? And so I'm certain, I go to every consignment and secondhand and thrift shop in Alachua County, I promise you. I mean, I, I had to take like the hottest shower ever afterwards. You know how, when you go, you know, anyway. So <clears throat> just around everybody else's stuff, it's just, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I make my pastor proud when I say stuff like that, you know? <clears throat> And, and 
to no avail, couldn't find what we were looking for. And so, you know, she, she ends up finding something on the internet all the way across, in Hawthorne. She finds this thing that's on, that shows up online. And uh, they've, tried, they've tried to sell this dresser like a bunch of times at yard sales and nobody ever buys it. And there's a good reason because it's ugly. It is, it is, it was one color at one time. Now it's like 10 because of all of the, the, the dirt and junk and like fading that had, you know, and all, this stuff is just broken up. Drawers are broken and it's just, it's a mess. Like you, you would walk right by it and be like, maybe if they put it on the side of the road with a sign that said free and I needed something to start a fire, I would get that piece of furniture right there. <clears throat> People walked by it all the time. And when I saw it, because I, I knew what she wanted and I, and I knew what we could do with it, she had convinced me of that or brainwashed me, whatever. And so I saw this thing and I'm like, this is, per- this is perfect. It's, it, so many people had walked by it before and didn't give it a chance. And I'm like, this is exactly what we need. Because I, I didn't look at it for what it was in that moment right there where it was dirty and it was messy and it was broken. I looked at it through the eyes of potential and saw, oh man, this thing could be something special. This could be a really cool piece of furniture by the time we're done with it. Can I be honest with you guys? There's another reason. There's another reason that I like that it was all messed up and dirty and broken because I knew that if I could get my hands on it with enough time and enough money, I could turn this into something really cool. And if I did that, then I'd have the before and the after. And I'd be able to show people into our house and stand next to it with some pride and a chest swelling and say, I, I did this. And people would have no choice but to say, you are awesome. You are the Pinterest master, you know? But I thought, man, I, that might be vain. That might be selfish. I don't care. It's what I thought. It's kind of what I thought about, you know? So I thought, man, when people see this, they're, they're, they're gonna look at me as like, oh man, look at what he can do, not look at what the dresser, look at what this guy can do, right? With a messed up, busted, broken piece of furniture. And isn't that exactly the way that God looks at us when we choose to be broken, when we choose to let our hearts be broken because somebody throws a spear of bitterness at us and we choose not to throw it back and our hearts become broken and we become just, just a mess of broken pieces. God looks at us with the potential and sees what we can be. And he knows, man, if they'll just give their lives to me, if they'll just give me their heart, what I can make with that heart, what I can make with that broken life right there, when people look at it, they're not going to look and say, oh man, that person's awesome. They're going to look at the person who fixed him and say, God is awesome. Isn't isn't that the end result of everything that we ever go through? Bitterness becomes all about me. When I become bitter, when I pick up a spear, when I throw the spear, that's all me. I want justification right now. When I choose brokenness, it's all about God working through me. And that's a hard, hard thing. In David's life, after he gets these spears just chucked at him over and over again, he's about to go on the run. And he writes in Psalms, so many beautiful songs of, of, of what he's going through and, and, and how he feels and, and, and his relationship with God. He just kind of pours it all out there. And as he's about to take off for these caves out in the middle of the desert, he's been broken. His heart is just messed up. And he writes this in Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. I can promise you, when you choose not to be bitter, you are choosing to be broken. When you leave the spear, lay right there and don't throw it back and don't do the easy thing and don't do the thing that you might enjoy at that moment. You're gonna have to deal with some real pain, some brokenness but God can use broken. 
Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. We pray you have been blessed by today's message. We would love to meet you in person. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org or call the church office at 352-472-3284. Thanks again for listening. Destiny Community Church, for life's journey.